Please turn your Bibles to 1 John with me. As you do so, let me just tell you, you're having a joyous Palm Sunday. In Luke 19, Jesus comes to the city of, near the city of Jerusalem, it says in Luke 19, 37, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise with God in a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. You and I, by God's grace, know what makes for peace. We know that the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross purchased our peace with God. My prayer is that each of you have placed your faith in Christ for your salvation encourage you to be thinking about Christ's sacrificial work on the, Christ, on the cross this week, and join us again uh, next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. encourage you to come early and enjoy some uh, food and fellowship as we rejoice uh, together next, next Sunday, and hope you have a joyous Palm Sunday this morning. My, my kids... Uh, I, I heard them upstairs and shouting to each other, it's Palm Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. I, I don't know if they thought there was candy coming or, you know, maybe they're just sweet kids, but I, it's got to be something else. Uh, no, or, so I hope that you're going home this afternoon. It's Palm Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. We can rejoice and worship the Lord. Well, we are in First uh, John. First uh, John chapter two. We've been working our way through the the epistle of First John. So if you're you're new to our church this morning, welcome, and, and hope that you enjoy our time of looking through this epistle together as well. We're looking at verses seven through eleven, but uh, I'm going to begin a little bit earlier in the chapter, really in verse one. We'll read through verse eleven, but we're looking at verses seven through eleven together this morning in our, in our sermon. So if you're able to, if you'd stand with me. As we read God's word in honor of God, as we read his word together. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. My little children, John writes, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And now verse 7 through verse 11 that we're looking at this morning. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You may be seated. May God encourage you through his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and because we love you, we love each other. We love your word. I thank you for the people you've brought here this morning to worship you together. Lord, change us. Help us to reflect who we are in you and give us the strength to bring glory and honor to your name. Help me to communicate your truths clearly, and I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about love this morning in case the, the title didn't uh, tip you off a little bit. We're talking about love, the, the test of love. And when Christians talk about love, there are at least three major challenges or obstacles we face when we, we talk about love. One is, is the problem of priority. I mean, I, I think we all would say intellectually, yeah, it's important to, to love each other. That's, a, that's an important thing to do. Go love. Um, but I wonder sometimes, do we understand the priority that love is supposed to, to have in the life of the believer? Love is not some optional characteristic that, that can be true of some believers and not true of other believers. Love is an essential mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's essential that a person who is in relationship with God be a, a person who's, who's loving. It should be a, a high priority for a believer. In fact, for those of you who are, who are newer to, to our, our church or who haven't uh, heard our series as we've gone through 1 John, the book of 1 John is written so that Christians can know that they are in relationship with God. You come into relationship with God very simply. You come into relationship with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins. You're turning away from your sins, from your self-righteousness, from all those things. And as you do that, you're, you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's how a person comes into relationship with God. But once that takes place, we've seen that there are to be some characteristics that are true of a believer. The first test that we're to, to, to engage in that John has talked to us about is, is the truth test. We looked at that first. And the truth test says, look, if, if there are some things that I don't believe about who Jesus is, I've, I've failed the truth test and I'm not really in relationship with God. There's a truth test. There's an obedience test. And a person who's had their heart transformed by the gospel by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, who's, who is uh, reborn, who's born again, a person who's, who is in Christ is going to be obedient to God. And a person whose life is not marked by obedience or even a desire for obedience has failed the obedience test, and they have no reason to be assured that they are in relationship with God. So there's a truth test, there's an obedience test, and there's also looking at this morning, a love test. And, and what I want you to understand, what I think John wants us to understand, is that passing the love test is every bit as important as passing the truth test. 
in terms of assurance, you can't say, well, I don't love really well, but I really understand the doctrine of the Trinity, so I'm, I'm okay. No, what John is saying, look, it is just as important in terms of assurance, it is just as important to look at your life and see love as it is to believe in the resurrection. Is that too strong of a statement? It's just as important in terms of assurance for you to engage in, in loving relationships with other believers as it is to believe the gospel in terms of assurance. So the first problem I think we have when we talk about love is, is we don't understand how important it is. We, we have a problem of priority. Love must mark our relationships with other Christians. If it does not, we have no confidence that we have been truly changed by Christ. There's also, as we talk about love in the church, there's also a problem of definition, right? A problem of definition. What does it even mean to love? We love in a culture, or we live in a culture that has a very shallow understanding of, of what love is. As we've talked about before, we live in the, the culture of the love quiz. You go online and you're wondering, uh, do I do I really like this, this guy, a girl may ask. I'm going to take this, this online love quiz, and it's going to ask me questions like, um, do I cry all the time because of this person? Does this person make me sad? Uh, do all my friends and family and strangers on the street stop me and say, please, in the name of all that is good and decent, break up with this person? Um, if so, Maybe you're not in love. I mean, there, there's all these, these quizzes we take and then in this shallow definition of love. So I think it's hard for us to rightly define what love is. In fact, I think it's hard for the, the church right now in the culture we live to, to understand what God calls us to when he, when he talks about love. In fact, you know, as, as you think about what's going on in, in Christianese and North American church, very often... As people talk about what's loving or, or unloving, they're describing things, as they, as they say they're talking about love, that, that have no biblical basis of, of saying that's, that's true biblical love. In fact, it's interesting that as, as John has kind of gone through this first part of his epistle, it's interesting the order that he lays out, right? He starts with the truth test. These are some things you need to, to believe. He goes to the obedience test. This is how you need to live in obedience to what you say you believe. And then the love test, you need to live relationally, horizontally with, with others in a way that is reflective of what you believe and, and how you're living. In other words, if you define love in a way that violates the truth test or the obedience test, you haven't rightly understood love. So, for example, if you tell a person, hey, you know what, um, I love you, so I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong you know, you kind of do your own thing, and if, if I tell you what's, what's right or wrong or I confront you in your sin, that wouldn't be a very loving thing to me. To, to be, uh, wouldn't be a very loving thing of me to do for you. And so I'm not going to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Well, hold on. That's violated the obedience test. That's violated the, the, the truth test that John gives us. And so that can't be a right understanding of love. So when it comes to love, I think we don't understand its priority, we don't understand how to define love biblically. And thirdly, we just don't do it sometimes, right? We just don't do it. Here's an interesting thought 
test to give yourself. If you were to ask other people in the church to define your relationship with them in one or two words or a phrase, how would they describe your relationship? What words or phrases would they use? Would they say, well, uh, you know, I would say you're kind of, well, frankly, indifferent to me. We don't really have much of a relationship. Or you seem kind of uninterested in me or my life. You're not really engaged. Kind of selfish. (laughs) Or as they describe the relationship with you, would they say, well, you know what? Um, Boy, you are just a person who does nothing but care for me. Or maybe not me personally, but as I think about you, you're, you're engaged in the lives of other people. I see it all the time. Again, let me suggest this to you. If you are not engaged in loving relationships with other people in Christ's church and, and having that bleed out into other relationships as well, you failed the love test. You're not engaging in love, and there is serious cause to question whether or not your relationship with God even exists. Here's the main idea we're going to see as we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11 this morning. Here's the central idea that I want you to grasp. If I am in Christ, I will love like Christ. If it is true that I am in Christ, and remember what we looked at last week in 1 John chapter 2, kind of as we came to the end of of what we're looking at last week, verse 5, he says, if you keep his word in him, truly the love of God is, is is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that in which he walks. So he's talking about being obedient to God and being in Christ and this disunion that happens with God. And you're in Christ and Christ in you. And we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks as we come to later parts of First John chapter 2. But the idea is this. If I'm a believer, if I'm in Christ, if that, if that relationship truly exists, I am going to love like Christ. And if I do not love like Christ, I need to ask, am I in Christ? So, let's do this. Let's look at the love test explained, and then we're going to look at the love test illustrated in a little bit, and we'll lay out some principles. But first, let's talk about the love test explained. And as we talk about the love test explained, we're going to see that there's one sense in which John's instruction here is an old commandment, And there's another sense in which it's a new commandment. We see the sense in which it's an old commandment in verse 7. Listen to what John tells these people in Asia Minor. Verse 7. This is the sense in which it's an old commandment. Beloved, and I love John's, don't, don't pass by that word beloved. Some translations say my dear friends or my friends or my uh, compadres or something like that. That's fine, but, but don't miss, there's, there's, a, there's a depth of relationship here beyond just, just being friends. You know, it's like that, that time in junior high where the person asks you, are we friends? Are we more than friends? Do you like her more than a friend? And, and John likes these people more than just, just buddies. There's a, a deep relational commitment here. They're, they're beloved to him. Beloved, he says, I'm writing you no new commandment. Okay, this isn't something new, but it's an old commandment that you had from the beginning The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And he's going to say as we go on, this old commandment is to love each other. And and why is John intent on letting them understand that this is an old commandment? 
he wants them to understand that he's not springing something new on them. This last week, uh, we were at a, a conference in Louisville, and uh, we were staying at a hotel, and on Friday, we, we came to, to check out, and there's a little kiosk, and a little computer screen you go to, and you, you start clicking things, and so I'm clicking all these buttons, and it says, do you want to print out a receipt? I said, sure, so I've printed out a receipt, I've swiped my, my card, and I look at my receipt, and at the very top line was the information they gave me at the beginning when we made the reservations. This is the room, this is how many nights, this is the price per night, you know, three times whatever equals whatever. Okay. Well, that wasn't the last line in the bill, right? There's, you know, a tax for the city, there's a tax for hotels, there's a tax for the state, there's a, a fee for the parking garage, there's a fee for leaving the parking garage, you know, it's like... Fee for looking in the mirror twice. Felt like I was in Les Mis or something, you know, with that crooked innkeeper. I mean, just over and up, fee, 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 fee. John is saying, look, that's not what we're doing here. It's not like I say, hey, why don't you become a Christian? And then after I became a Christian, oh, by the way, there's some more that I forgot to tell you. This is what it means to be a Christian also. He says, no, from the very beginning, you've understood what this relationship is going to look like. So, for example, these people would have been told in Ephesians uh, 5, 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. First Peter, Peter tells his, his readers, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. And so, saying, you guys have known this instruction from the beginning when the gospel is proclaimed to you. You've understood that you're coming into relationship not just with God but with other believers. And there's a relational obligation you have these other believers as you all believe the gospel together. But it even goes back before that, right? What does Jesus say that the greatest commandments are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he quotes Leviticus. Leviticus 19, 18. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this, this long-term obligation to, to, to be in relationship with one another. It's not something new. This is so important to understand why John does this. And, and what you and I should think about this as well. Young people especially listen to this, okay? There's this idea that, that's kind of pervasive right now in evangelical Christianity that the millennial generation is, is this special, super special generation, and the way they want to do church is, is different. And because millennial Christians are different than the generations who have gone before them, we need to to, to arrange church and, and re-articulate the truth and, and, and all, all this, uh, frankly, nonsense, right? I'm, uh, I'm not quite middle-aged yet, I hope. We'll see. But I've, I've been around church long enough to, to see this is, this is nothing new. I mean, my generation used to be the cool generation. Gen X used to be, man, we had to change church to reach Gen X. And so we're going to do this emergent church thing. We're going to, we're going to really reach emerge, the, the, the Gen X people. So we're going to change how we articulate truth because we've got to reach Gen X. And you know what? Before Gen X, it was the boomers or whatever. You know, we've got to reach the baby boomers. And, and baby boomers, they are all about you know, self-fulfillment. And so we've got to do these seeker-sensitive church movement to, to change how we do church. You know what? Millennial generation, uh, you know what's happening to you is the same thing that's happened to all of us. We're just becoming our parents. <laughs> you know what? The goal isn't newness for the church. The goal is faithfulness. And John is saying here, look, 
there's, there's these new teachers who are coming. They're saying, hey, I've got this new teaching. I'm enlightened and follow me. And, and John's saying, that is, that's, that's garbage. You don't want what's new. You want what's faithful. You want what's true. You want what's right. And your goal is not to be innovative. Your goal is to be faithful. My goal as a pastor is not to say every Sunday, hey, I've got something new. I got this. No one's ever thought of this before. But I, in my study this week, I came up with this. Here you go. You ready? When I say that, they're the exits, right? You just know, I need to leave because there's something going on here. And it's not good. Our goal is not inventiveness, it's faithfulness. It's an old commandment. It's in line with what's always been taught. It's old. It's faithful. But there's also something that is new about it. So wait, hold on, is that contradictory? Look at verse 8. Here's what else he says. He says, it's not new, it's the old commandments, the word you've heard, but verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, it's okay, well, in what sense? It's an old commandment, it's true, it's what we've always been told to do, we're always supposed to love each other, and yet at the same time, it's, it's new. How is it new? Well, it's new in the same sense that Jesus said it was new in John 13. Jesus in John 13 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now pay attention, because here's the new part. See if you catch this. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you catch the new part? you catch the new part? The new commandment isn't to love one another. It's not like in the Old Testament, all right, this is me, God speaking, I want you to hate each other and see all the wickedness you can do. No, they've always been told to love each other. What's the new part? How's it new? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you all sort of love one another. The new part is the ability that we have to be obedient to this commandment in Christ. Right Again, right before that in chapter 2, he's talked about how we're in him. And now here in verse 8, he says, this is true in him and in you. And, and so we're in Christ, he's in us, and, and both of us are manifesting this new love. He says, the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. This is uh, right in line with, with other things we've seen John say Now, the remarkable thing is that we have the ability in Christ to be obedient to this command to love each other. Now, how did Christ love us? How did Christ love others? Well, think about it. Christ loved those who hated him. Remember we read from Luke 19 a little bit ago. What does Jesus do as he sees the city that's about to crucify him? He, he weeps because of his great love, and he, he, he longs for them to know how they can have peace with God. So he loves those who hate him. Who hate him. He loves with humility. John 13 talks about he washes the disciples' feet. He loves sacrificially. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Philippians 2, 6, 
Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus loved sacrificially. He loved humbly. He loved contra-conditionally. It's not just he loved us unconditionally. He knew our condition. We were enemies of him, Romans 5 tells us, and, and he loved us. In fact, 1 John 4 tells us that uh, we love him because he first loved us. His love was initiatory. So his love, he initiated love. He initiated love against people who hated him. He initiated love against people who hated him by being sacrificial and humble. That's how Jesus loves. So as we're talking about the love test explained, how well would you say your love matches what Scripture says Jesus' love looks like? In your relationship with your parents, would you say, you know what, my relationship with my, care, my parents is characterized by sacrificial love. Mom and dad need something. Their needs are always on the forefront of my mind. When it comes to relationships within my workplace, my actions are marked by humility. I don't need everyone else to give me the accolades. I, I have a desire to, to do the lowly tasks in order to, to demonstrate my, my love for others. In my relationship with my spouse, when there's relational conflict, because I love them, I always take the initiative. I don't wait for them to apologize to me. I don't say they need to, to do this or that or whatever. I, I initiate them because I, I love them just like Christ loves. Our love for others must, if we're going to say we really love, it must be marked by the same characteristics that Christ's love for others was marked by. He says, again here in the text, he says that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And what's happening here is it's the evidence of this new aspect, the new aspect of the command. God is doing incredible things in the lives of his people and they're true in Christ, they're true in us as our love is manifested towards others. Christ has enabled this new time of obedience. First John, or I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verse 5 says the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. As you and I engage in love of other people, there's this new aspect to it because we have this divine enablement to engage in love toward one another. God in the present is doing incredible things in the lives of believers. It's not just some future date in heaven that we'll start loving each other. It happens now. The darkness begins to pass away. The true light is shining in us and through us as Christ is in us. Okay, so, so do you see this with this love test? You see, you see what he's saying? I was explaining it. You see how this isn't some minor thing we can either love or not love, take it or leave it? If I am in Christ, here's what he's saying. If I am in Christ, I will love like Christ. If I am in Christ, I will love like Christ. That's the love test. That's it explained. Now let's see it illustrated. Okay, here's the love test illustrated in verses 9 through 11. And as we look at verses 9 through 11, we're going to see a hater and we're going to see a lover. Verse 9 tells us two characteristics of the hater. 
Verse 10 tells us three characteristics of the lover, and then verse 11 tells us the third characteristic of the hater. So we're going to see three characteristics of both the hater and the lover, but they're kind of separated a little bit. So let's, let's start with the first two characteristics of the hater in verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. So the first characteristic of the hater is that they, they claim to be enlightened. This person says, I have, I have special knowledge from God. I, I understand God. I know God. They're making a claim to be in the light. What's the second characteristic? Actually, they hate. Second characteristic of a hater is they hate. Not very complicated, right? But what does it mean to hate? What does it mean to hate your brother? Well, of course, it, it means to, to act antagonistically toward if a person's really hostile, you yell at a person, you want to murder them. Of course, that's hatred. But John's understanding of hatred goes deeper than that. You see, John believes that a lack of relational faithfulness in terms of what God calls us to be and to do is also hatred. So in John's mind, the people who have left the church are hating. God has called them to unity, to oneness, to love. They're not doing that. They're haters. It's very interesting, isn't it? Our definition of love is sometimes so shallow. And for John, there's no shades of gray. It's black or it's white in terms of love. It means you can't say, well, I don't love that person, but I don't hate him either. No, John says you do. I'm, uh, I'm part of the, I'm, I'm fairly plugged into the evangelical orphan care movement, and, and it's, a, it's a movement that's in a lot of danger right now. One of the dangers that's really just erupted over the last month, month and a half, is, is in the area of what it means to, to really love children who we're trying to help. One kind of part of the movement in the evangelical orphan care world has said, you know what, um, loving orphans means not just providing for them physically, but, but, but providing for them physically in a, a way that's faithful to, to what God desires us to do in all areas of life. So when it comes to finances, when it comes to sexual morality, all those things are, are an important part of what it means to love orphans. And there's another branch of the evangelical orphan care movement right now that's saying, you know what, how, how dare you guys get worked up about things like sexual morality? You know what, you just need to, to love other Christians. And your job isn't to judge, your job isn't to tell people how they're to live. If, if you guys were just more focused on loving instead of calling people out on their sin, you'd be more effective. Well, what is that? That's a wrong understanding of what love is. And in fact, if I, if I may be so bold, that's actually what John would describe, ironically, it's actually what John would describe as hatred. Remember what we said, there's three love tests, or there's three tests of fellowship. There's the truth test, the obedience test, and the love test. And if your definition of love violates the other definitions of what John is saying needs to be true relationally, it's not a biblical understanding of love. Our love for others must be in line with truth 
and in line with calling people to obedience. The love test illustrated here, the person who has separated themselves relationally from those who are trying to faithfully follow God in obedience is actually a hater. They claim to be enlightened. They claim that they have special new knowledge. They claim that they've become enlightened and they know how you're to live, and yet the type of life they call you to live is a life of disobedience to the Scripture. That's not love. Again, this is strong. It's hate. It's John's words, not my words. Although I'm echoing John's words. I'm not disagreeing with John. So, the first two characteristics of the hater, they claim to be enlightened, but in actuality, they hate their brothers and sisters in Christ. So what about the lover? Let's look at three characteristics of the lover very quickly in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. So the first characteristic of the lover is that they love. They, they, they are faithful in that sacrificial, covenantal relationship they have with brothers and sisters in Christ, and they act in accordance to it. Their lives are, are marked by sacrificial commitment to other Christians. Second thing we see about these people who love is they abide in the light. Their lives, a person who loves truly, this is so important to understand, there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing that exists in our culture existed in John's culture as well. The person who says they love is going to endeavor to live a life that is faithful to obedience. They live in the light. Their lives are characterized by obedience to God's standards for morality, for materialism, for, for all sorts of areas of life. They're faithful to what God says they're to be doing. And then third characteristic, there's no cause for stumbling. As a person engages in a lifestyle of covenantal, faithful commitment to other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that's going to cause them to stumble in that area of life. They can be assured that they're walking rightly with God. So, three characteristics of the person who loves, they they truly love, they abide in the light, they don't stumble. Now here's the third characteristic of the hater in verse 11. It says, but whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So it's a very a sad, pathetic picture here. It's a person who has claimed to be enlightened and said, hey, come follow me because I know the right way to live. And in reality, they're living in a way that's disobedient to God and not loving other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and they're stumbling through life. Reminds me of what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So that these hard hearts, it causes them to be ignorant of God. And because they're ignorant of God, they're separated from the life God desires them to have, and it's like they're stumbling around in the darkness. A person claims to be living rightly before God. They claim to be enlightened, and yet their lives are not marked by sacrificial, loving commitment to other Christians, and so they're, they're walking around in darkness. They're walking around in darkness, unable to do that which God has called them to do. Let's lay out some principles. Let's lay out some principles. Let me lay out five principles here that, that I hope 
kind of help us understand what we're talking about. You say, okay, Daniel, I understand that's a love test explained, the love test illustrated. I know, okay, if I'm in Christ, I will love like Christ. What is loving me? Help me understand. Give me some applications here. Here's one, first one. Loving you means I commit to an ongoing sacrificial relationship with you. If I love you, it means that I am committing to you. To not be in a casual relationship with you. To not be in a temporary relationship with you. But to be in, by God's grace, an ongoing, sacrificial relationship with you. God has never envisioned a community of faith in which you and I casually drop in and out of each other's lives. God doesn't envision a a relationship in which I can say, you know what, I'm here today, we'll see about tomorrow. What John is telling us is that God's covenant people are to come into the church and say, you know what, I am committed to an ongoing relationship with you. I'm going to come into the church and I'm going to be committed to you. And, and through thick or thin, through, through ups, through downs, through disappointments, through excitements, I'm committed to this relationship. And far, far too frequently, our lives are, are marked by a, a casualness of, of commitment that is, is completely antithetical to what God calls us to. I'm here until you disappoint me. I'm engaged in relationship with you till the end, unless you say something I kind of disagree with a little bit. We commit, as we come into covenant community together, through faith in Jesus Christ, we commit to a relationship that's ongoing, and it's a relationship that's sacrificial. It's the essence of biblical love. As I come into relationship with you, my question is not, what are you, who are part of the church, going to do for me and my family? My question isn't, how are you going to to meet my needs? My question isn't, what have you done for me lately? My question is, oh God, how would you let me love these people? Why am I here? What, God, how have you put me in this place at this moment in time to to care for the people who are around me? That's what love means. We don't understand that. Our culture is so insulated and we, we celebrate individuality and we don't understand what it means to be in committed relationship with you, but with one another, but we don't understand love unless, unless we do that. Loving you also means that I I speak sound doctrine to you, right? Loving you means that I I speak, number two, means that I speak sound doctrine to you. I was reading uh, an article this last week about a person who was was talking about how, um, you know, so much of the Christian life is unknowable and and what you believe about these major issues doesn't really matter. The only thing I really, this guy said, the only thing that I affirm is, is the Apostles' Creed, and I'm pretty sure I believe that. And the idea that we have the responsibility to do more than, than, than hold on to these doctrines in the Apostles' Creed, this guy said, is just kind of silliness, arrogance. 
I don't want to stand before God someday and for him to say, so, uh, what have you done with your belief? What, what do you believe? Well, I, the Apostles' Creed, that's about it. He holds out a Bible. <laughs> this book seems a lot bigger than the Apostles' Creed. And I've given it to you to know it, so that you can know me. There are so many truths about me found in, in Scripture that, that aren't contained in, in, a, in one doctrinal statement. And so often our, our, our idea is that, well, if I love someone, I'm not going to confront them if they have some wrong thinkings. Who am I to even say that what they think is wrong? No, my goal is to say, look, what you're saying right now seems in pretty stark contradiction to what this text in, in Scripture says here. Help me understand, where are you coming from here? Well, great minds disagree on this. Yeah, really disobedient minds disagree on some things too. And my goal isn't, isn't just to say, well, I believe a couple truths about God and I'm good. My goal is, God, you've given me all of this word. Help me know it. And, and guys, so often our relationships in the church, we believe that they're based on this idea of unknowability of God. God, we can't know him. Shouldn't try. Shouldn't try to tell other people. No. It, loving you means that, that, that you and I, as, as we talk to each other, we're talking about the truths of God's word. We're engaging and speaking deep truths about God to each other. Our relationships are not superficial. Well, you know, how was the baseball game last night or the softball game? We're speaking, not that that's wrong to talk about, of course, but, but, there, but there's, there's, there's a greater depth to our relationship. Third thing that I think loving each other means, loving you means that I say hard things to you when you're disobedient to God. That's the third thing. Loving you means that I, I say some hard things to you when you're disobedient to God. Let me, let me read you just one text that I think, I don't know how you'd argue with this. Mark chapter 10. Jesus has just talked to the, he's talking to the rich young ruler. Remember that story? And the rich young ruler has just made a very audacious claim. You know, Jesus is, is, is you know, what he's asked about eternal life and and uh, he's, he's, he's made a claim to obey all these, these commandments that Jesus mentioned, or that he mentioned to Jesus uh, since his youth. And Jesus, Mark tells us, looks at him. He says, and Jesus looking at him, and you know what the next phrase is? You know what it is? Loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And because he loved him, he said, Ah, okay. Such a cute kid. Go ahead. Just enjoy your stuff. Just go have fun with all the, you're rich, you got your life to live, and you're trying your best. Just go for it, buddy. No, that's not what it says, right? It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And because he loved him, he said some of the hardest truths that have ever been said from one person to another, applicable to this guy's life circumstances. He sees that this young man is, is uh, self-righteous and in love with the things of this world, and so Jesus says this to him in 
Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and because he loved him, said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus knew that this man was on a road that that led to eternal damnation. And because he loved him, he said, look, here's a far better path. Here's the, the path above all paths. Get rid of all this garbage, this junk, this rubbish. Follow me. You loving me means that you look at my life and you say, Daniel, my brother, I love you and you are in bondage to some things that are not going to bring you joy and are not going to bring you peace and that are completely disobedient to what God says. I love you. Let me say some hard things to you. Get rid of that junk. You say to your friend, look, I love you. You love your job way too much. Love Jesus. Loving you means you say to your friend, look, you are in bondage to to immorality that is going to lead to death. This is the the people who are part of the kingdom of God have no part in these things. Get rid of that, that filth. You're in the bondage of materialism, and, and that stuff is never going to, that stuff is going to be things, it's going to be like weights that you, you hold on to that, that bring you to the depths of the sea and you drown in them. Get rid of it. You don't do that. You don't love people. Biblically, right? It's hard, but necessary. Loving you means I say hard things to you when you're disobedient to God. Loving you means that I I live wisely. I live wisely. John has has told the the, the people that the people who are um, the the people who are walking in the light are the the people who love. And and, and I love this picture because it means that a person who's who's living rightly isn't focused on themselves, but's focused on others. I've been reading a book this this past a couple weeks. that everyone around me is sick of hearing about, and the, the staff is about to get really sick of it because I'm going to talk about it all the time here. But it's a, it's a book called What's Best Next by Matthew Perman. What's Best Next? And, and it's, it's about a God-centered idea of productivity. And, and kind of the, the, one of the theses of, of the book is that our goal of being, in being productive is not just to, to get a lot of things done, but our, our goal, a God-centered view of productivity says, I'm engaged in doing things so that I can serve others. God-centered productivity isn't me just checking a lot of things off my list. It's me engaging in, in ministry to you. A person who's living wisely isn't going through life saying, I'm going to be super productive. I'm going to get a lot of things done. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. A person who's living wisely is looking around saying, I'm living for you, and I'm living for you, and I'm living for you, and I love you, and I'm doing things for you, and I'm engaged, and how can I serve you? That's wisdom. And loving others ensures that I'm living wisely. If you aren't loving others, you're living foolishly, right? Finally, loving others, as we think about the practical applications here, loving others, loving you, means that I'm, I'm protected from falling away from God. Now, I believe that once a person is a Christian, once their heart has been transformed by the gospel, they're, they're secure in Christ, so I'm not talking about 
person who is a believer losing their salvation, but, but we also see in Scripture there's, there's perseverance that, that Christians are to engage in. And a person who doesn't persevere says, boy, I, I don't know if I'm in Christ or not. Maybe I haven't placed my faith in Christ truly. Loving others, loving you, means that I'm protected from falling away from God. It says in, in him there's no cause for stumbling. As I live a life of serving others and of, of, of sacrificial, ongoing, committed relationship to you, it gives me assurance that, that my relationship with God is right. But if I can look at other Christians and be disdainful, if I can look at other Christians and, and be unconcerned about their needs, if I can look at my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and just, just feel, eh, then there's every indication that I'm not in Christ and I'm going to live a life marked not by obedience to God, but, but by apostasy, by falling away from God. Do you see how important love is? Love for each other, Bethany Community Church and, and larger church, wherever you're a part of, it's not something extra. It's not something you can do on the side. If you are in Christ, if your heart has been transformed by the gospel, you must, you must love like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. And we desire, our heart's desire, our cry to you is to help us to love each other. Help our lives to be marked by, by sacrifice for one another, by commitment to one another, by, by, by speaking truth into each other's lives in a loving way. We cannot do this on our own. It's only, only through your strength. Give it to us, we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.